Welcome to From the Ground Up, a podcast about small business funding, entrepreneurship, and current events that influence them. Powered by Tenant Financial Group. Welcome back to another edition of From the Ground Up podcast. We're excited with our guest today. You know, my background being in somewhat of a technological space, I cut my teeth in school on writing code and writing websites, and I knew enough of it to be dangerous, but I learned very early that the whole process of coding is going to play a huge role in our world as it's developed. And this was back in 1995. Well, fast forward, the importance of coding has gotten a thousand times bigger and more important. And today's guest really has done a lot to be aware of that change and not only be aware of it, but build a program and, and a franchise concept that actually builds people who have a lot of focus in computer science technology. And it's so, so important. Abed Abedi is with us today, and he is the CEO and founder of iCode. And iCode is a school specifically for K through 12 to learn how to code. Abed, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Tell us how this all got started. Where did this come from? It's funny you ask a question because uh, I wish I had this planned and, and did it, but I happened to be talking to a lady that I know at a Starbucks. She was in technology in the wireless space, and we talked about different things that are going on in 5G coming out and 4G and so on and so forth. We finished up the conversation, and I asked her, you know, hey, uh, how many kids do you have? She said, well, I have two kids, 9 and 11. I said, what do they do? What activities they're doing? And she said, I'm teaching them how to code. I'm like, well, you're doing what now? I said, I'm teaching them coding. And I said, well, 11 of the kids in the subdivision found out and uh, they're all coming. I, they want more kids want to come. I don't have the space. I'm like, actually forget about your 5G, 4G ideas. You know, I like this idea better uh, because being in the tech sector the last 25 years, I've always struggled uh, with hiring good people. And, and I knew with a society where we are heading it. And that's how it sort of got started is purely by accident on a Starbucks uh, coffee. What, you know, there's no, how many businesses can trace their roots back to a good cup of coffee, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That's amazing. That's such a great story. You know, I, we all know labor, labor issues and workforce education is so, so important. So fast forward, you had this idea over a cup of coffee at a Starbucks. Tell us what's going on today. It's great. I mean, one of the things, David, I talk about, you know, a lot of people have great ideas, you know, and everybody has an idea. It's not about the idea. It's about the execution of an idea that makes a difference. And I'm stupid enough. When I have an idea, if I think it's a good one, I'll actually do it. I've done 15 startups in the last 40 years. So I just love an idea. If I think it's a good one, I just go in, you know, both my feet and, and get going. So today, you know, we have sort of about 70 franchises we have sold. Uh, there are about 26 that are operating, about 28 or 27 under construction. They'll open the next three months or so. We're going to open them before uh, May or June, so summer for the summer camps, which is a great busy time for us. And it has evolved quite a bit because one of the things I've learned uh, by starting multiple different companies over the last four decades is change is constant. You have to change. You have to adapt. If you don't, you don't survive. So both from a, uh, you know, a service offering perspective to how iCode looks and feel, it has evolved, changed, and stayed relevant. Uh, during the pandemic, we went virtual very quickly to help our franchisees. 
And now we're looking at Metaverse. So I'm working on a strategy to launch an education platform in the Metaverse. So you constantly have to sort of look for opportunities and take advantage of it. So that's sort of where, where I am today. I mean, a lot of our uh, a lot of our listening audience are folks that are looking to to start businesses, and you, you've got a phenomenal background in it. And some of this you may have already touched on, but you know, if you think back across, you know, the fifteen you know companies that you've started over the past forty years, what are some of the major hurdles? What are some of the common mistakes that you've made, and 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 maybe you know some of the people listening might be in the process of making as well. Let me talk a little bit about the first venture because. You know, once you have several, once you have capital, once you have some success, then it's easy to sort of, you know, do the second, the third, the fourth. The first one is the toughest one. And that's what a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people struggle with just the first one because it's always like anything else in life. The first one is the most difficult one. Once you sort of get over that hurdle, it becomes easier. So one of the things I tell people is plan, plan ahead. Because when I got married, I told my wife that, look, as soon as she graduates, I'm going to quit and start my job because I don't want to get used to two incomes. So while she did her undergraduate and graduate school, I was working and saving money because I knew very well that I need capital, right? So driving around in a beat up Nissan Sentra at some hail damage, thank God, you know, I got some money from insurance and didn't repair it, <laughs> right? Lived in a mortgage of $800 mortgage. So you know what, uh, if one income I could support it. So you have to plan. People go and ask other people for money. Okay, how much have you saved? Well, none. Well, you know what? Don't ask people for money. If you haven't saved yourself, you know, you have no right, no business asking other people for money. You have to put your own money in it. So the first thing is planning. Plan ahead, right? I didn't know what I was going to do, but I know that I was going to start a business. So planning, I think, is the first thing that I would do. The second thing I would ask is don't go to your rich uncle because he or she would, or, or auntie because she won't give you the money. <laughs> the rich people do not give startups money. It is the other friends, you know, who are who have a normal job, between ten thousand, five thousand, you know, ten thousand. Not your rich uncle. Uh, that's just a myth. It, it doesn't work, right? So that's the second thing I tell people is don't. First, have your own money in the in the game because you need to have the conviction and right to put your own capital at risk before you ask other people to risk their capital, if you will. So that's the second thing I look for. The third thing I always tell people is. You don't necessarily need to have expertise or in that particular industry or idea that you want to. A lot of people get hung up about, you know, I don't have the experience. You know, I'm an accountant. It's a funny story. The only class that I flunked in college was coding. Now I teach <laughs> thousands of kids how to code. Right? So that tells you that you really don't necessarily need to have an experience. Because think about it. If you start a business... You need multiple different skill set. You need somebody with marketing, with sales, and you know, if you're technology, technology, administration, I mean, multiple different skills. So you cannot do everything by yourself anyway. I tell people business is a team sport. It's not an individual sport, so don't play like one, right? So I don't get afraid if I don't have it because I could hire people with that experience. I mean, for instance, my chief operating officer was the president and CEO for GNC. So he has 30 years of franchising experience. My curriculum team have deep, deep experience in developing instructional design, the curriculum development, technology. I don't need to be an expert in, in franchising. I don't have to be an expert in curriculum development. I have a great marketing team. So you put a team together, right? And a lot of the people are afraid to hire people that are smarter because they think, well, I'm going to look like an idiot. Well, the only thing that I've worked for me my entire life 
I'll hire people that are smarter than me. That's the only requirement I have. You have to be smarter than me to come to work for me. Because if not, then you know what? I'm not going to get nothing out of it. Right? So these are basic fundamental things that I tell people to do. Yeah, they're they're basic maybe, but the, you said it. They're fundamental. Let's kind of unroll it here a little bit. Let's take that good team that you've assimilated and, and you've wrapped around with. Now, we've got, you know, your own company. We've got iCode. It surely has competitors in the market space. Tell us about, you know, your competitive advantage. What it, what it, why if I was looking to, you know, invest in iCode versus, you know, a competitive brand, why would I choose you guys? What, what, what is it? What's the secret, you know, sauce? One of the advantages of me coming from outside the industry is I don't have blinders because this is how it's supposed to be done. Now, I'm going to tell you just one example of it. I mean, we live in a society where it is all about utilizing underutilized asset, right? Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, these are all examples of it. Now, there are thousands and thousands of after-school programs, agree, in the nation. Now, when you sign a lease, are you signing the place to use the place for only three hours a day? Are you signing for 24 hours, seven days a week? So I don't understand the whole model of after-school program when you invest in the infrastructure the largest investment somebody's doing is signing a lease because you're know, on the hook for three years or five years and investing in you know, leasehold improvements and equipment and all that kind of stuff. Why would I ask somebody to invest that kind of capital, only use the capital for three hours a day? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't have an accountant. It doesn't make any sense to me. So the way I've designed iCode is appeals to kids. The other aspect of any after-school program is they put it at the back of the strip center, like Kumar Methanasium. It's a dungeon, there's no windows, a small round table, small round chairs. You know, I had three kids that I've raised and I've taken them to Kumaan or Mathanasium, dragging their feet because it's not conducive to learning. It's as simple as that. So I want to create a, a, an environment that's conducive to learning. So if you look at iCode, how it looks and feel, it's unlike any other school you've seen, right? The second thing I'm gonna do is and they're adult tables, adult chairs. So the reason for that is I'm going to launch adult classes in the daytime using the exact same infrastructure. So we're going to utilize the space from 7 in the morning to 8 in the evening because 7 to 4, I'll have adult classes in cybersecurity, ethical hacking, network disaster recovery, same infrastructure, same computers, same sort of furniture, everything. And then in the evening, I'm going to have kids' classes. And there's not a single education institution that I found that caters to a first grader and an adult in the same space. I don't know why. It doesn't say in the Bible you can't do it. The physics laws, I know I, I flunked out of engineering, but I know physics laws, I think I don't think so. There's a law that says you can't do that, right? If we talk about teaching kids collaboration and teamwork. You know, we are the only after-school program that actually have hubs, which are classrooms, because that promotes collaboration and teamwork. We all know that in order to be successful, you need to provide your product and services in a way consumer wants to consume, because that's how you sort of succeed. So that's why we have the BELT program, which is a computer science structured program, or we have PATH, which is more vertically topical-based driven, like Roblox or Minecraft, uh, YouTube production, Java or Python, sort of based vertically you go after. Then we have summer camps, and then we have Anytime, which is flexible. You can drop the kids anytime you want, and the kids can game, game development. So these are just basic fundamental differences, not only against my competitors, but against every single after-school program out there. Right. 
You know, it's I, I was reading through uh, the website in preparation for our time together today, and one of the things that I really caught my attention was it's not grade-based. It's very practical. You're actually building things, right? It's, it's very tactile and hands-on. You make a comparison between productive time and non-productive time where kids are spending time playing video games, but they're not creating or learning anything. That's a common concern, you know, for our society at large. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's two types of things. One, you know, kids consume technology or kids create technology. We focus more on kids creating technology than users of technology because there are plenty of users. Kids play with, you know, all the gadgets that are available to them. So we focus more on, okay, how do you teach kids how to create versus how to consume, which is a different mindset, if you will. So the way we do that is, you know, we, we gamify learning, if you will, right? If you, t- if you tell the kids, learn Java, they're going to say, you know what? I don't learn Java. I know what Java is. I, I couldn't care less about Java. But if you tell them, you know what? You like Minecraft and everybody will say, oh, no, I love Minecraft. Okay. You know what? Let's create things in Minecraft. And guess how do you do that? By using Java. So now kids don't think they're learning Java, right? They are thinking they're learning how to create walls or different things in Minecraft. So the mindset completely changes. Right. We give the era of Python, which is, you know, we use Python for drone programming. So we tell the kids, okay, we want the drones to fly in a certain pattern. Right. Now, the way you do that is by using Python. So they're not thinking they're learning Python. They're learning, trying to figure out how to fly the drones. So we kind of, you know, change it. I mean, for instance, you know, all kids, younger kids, you know, zeros and ones, that's how computer talks it. If you tell them the binary code, they're going to say, well, it's boring. Tell them, look, the aliens are taking over the world and their language is zeros and ones. All of a sudden, the kids forget about, you know, hey, the binary language is a game. So we gamified learning. So we trick the kids in some way to actually learn. And then we focus on, you know, the soft skills, which are so important, I think. I, th- I think they're more important. I mean, my success is not because of my technology, it's because of the communication skills sort of, of the soft skills that I have. Or like to think I, you know, I have anyway. But collaboration, teamwork, presentation, how do you build kids' confidence, right? These are things that are, I think, essential for kids. Because kids, when they learn how to code, they're learning these things because programming teaches kids problem-solving skill, critical thinking, perseverance, structural thinking, maths, collaboration, teamwork. There's a project at the end of the each bell that they come and present a project. Now, these are the skills that could, that could be helpful to them in any subject. So coding, and once again, the, the whole myth about coding is I want to learn a language. You know what? I'm old enough to know what happened to Visual Basic, PL1, COBOL, you know, Power Builder. None of them are around. So we teach the kids the basic fundamental concepts, which are applicable regardless of what language. Today is Alice, Python. Tomorrow could be something else. So these are, once again, these are not sort of rocket science. These are pretty, I tell people, look, I'm not that smart. I'm very simple. So I simplify things and say, okay, let's not make things complex. I think unnecessarily people make things very, very complex. But if you really think and what a consumer wants and what are the things, for instance, I mean, we all know that kids learn better when they do something with their hands and practice it. Yet there are tons of virtual schools and our competitors all they're teaching kids is give them a computer or a laptop and do learning coding. I'm like, 
you can learn that for free at code.org, Khan Academy. That's what all iCodes have all the equipment with the drones, with the 3D printing, or, you know, robots. You know, we hooked up a partnership with Texas Instruments. We have Texas Instruments calculators, rovers, 3D printing, iSports machines, Raspberry Pi, Crow Pi. So we teach them half an hour of theory and half an hour actually hands-on because that builds their confidence. They learn better. And these things, everybody knows. It's not a secret sauce. It's, it's wide open. But you just have to observe and implement things. Once again, as I said, ideas are dime a dozen. It's the execution of the idea that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I, you know, it's 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 so interesting listening to you talk. I mean, it's uh, it's got to be. There's got to be an insatiable appetite out there amongst kids and and parents alike for for what you're doing. And it's probably reflective in your growth numbers. I can't recall how long you've been doing this, but good lord, I mean, uh, uh, for what you've just described, it sure seems like uh, your growth ought to be reflective of of the appetite in the market. Can you talk to us about uh, you know where you started, where you're at, and where you're headed in terms of uh, uh, development? Yeah, one of the things I've learned, uh, you know, as I said, I've always surrounded myself people who are smarter than me. And one of the professor at SMU, Jerry White, told me this in '97, '98 when I was growing my uh, the company. I mean, you could build a multi-story building on a one-story foundation. Nothing's stopping you from doing that. But guess what? When the wind blows, you're going to topple. So one of the things I fundamentally do in all my companies is build a foundation first, because then it will withstand anything that comes along the way. So the first few years, I started in 2015. The first few years, I focus on building the system, the processes, the methodology, the curriculum, because 100% of our curriculum is proprietary and it's living with a document that changes constantly, uh, if you will. So that's what I focus on. So I didn't start actually franchising until 2017, 2018, when I first started franchising. And then I wanted to first you know, have the franchises in the Dallas area where I'm based in, because once again, you need to learn. You know, you can grow exponentially and fall as fast as you grow. So control growth was more important. And also I want to make sure that I had the right franchisees versus giving awarding a franchise to anybody that comes along the way because they'll fail and that reflective on us at the end of the day. So I was very deliberate in terms of, you know, first growing it locally. That's what Dallas Fort Worth has the most number of franchisees. And I expanded, you know, into Austin, San Antonio, Houston, because that makes logical sense. Now we are sort of in 22 different states. Then during the pandemic, you know, I didn't want to sell any because I didn't want to sell knowing fully well that, you know, retail is is dead, you know, with pandemic. So I didn't sell for two years. We started selling back up in May of last year. We're selling about five, awarding of five new franchisees per month is what the track record we are in. And that's a control growth because I want to make sure that I provide the right service. And franchising, as you know, better than other businesses is, is a marriage. It's codependency on the franchisee being successful for us as a franchisor to be successful. And I'm very, very cognizant of that and want to make sure that I have the infrastructure internally to support the franchisees. So we're going about five units per month. And that I think is something that I feel comfortable that I can provide the services to and make them successful. Yeah, operational supports everything. I mean, it comes right down to unit economics. I mean, the Absolutely. success of a franchise is is just merely a reflection of of its individual franchisees. So I can appreciate what you're saying there. I think that's really important. Yeah, 
And I would say that's very strong growth. I mean, we've been around franchising a long time, and you know, 60 deals a year, that's, that's significant. So congratulations on that. that. What I think that stands a credit to is all the things that you're speaking about. Good unit economics, good operational support. You don't have that kind of consistent growth in your franchise sales team if those key aspects are not in place. So that's amazing. That's really impressive. I agree. Thanks, David. You talked and touched a little bit about domestic growth and the volume and pace at which you're growing. What do you see on the horizon as far as areas you want to move towards, even in in the U.S., and and what's your thoughts on international growth? You know, I have run companies or start companies that grow to 11 different countries. I'm quite familiar with international growth. Once again, it's a controlled growth that I'm more interested in. So U.S. is a huge market for this. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for us. Internationally, I'm only interested if there's a massive franchise. Once again, my issue is if I cannot provide them the support, then it's not worth it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur myself, I don't want to have an entrepreneur invest their hard-earned money into a vision that I have and fail because you have to have some moral ethics and obligation. And I have a lot of empathy because myself being an entrepreneur that I don't, I don't, I don't want to have it on my conscience that somebody invested on my vision and lost money. I mean, that's just not not worth it. I mean, I I don't need money. I've done well. Uh, It's just, to me, it's it's not worth it. So control growth in the U.S., as I said, I'm more interested in uh, in future-proofing iCode. That's what the whole strategy for Metaverse, creating a platform in in the Metaverse, Platform X is what we're calling it internally. I think that is exciting. I think think this is an incredible opportunity. I think where the technology is going, you know, if you do a survey, nine out of 10 parents will tell that they want the kids to learn technology or coding. So it's a fantastic market. It's growing. There's enough opportunities for everybody. But I want to make sure that what I call I have a healthy paranoia that, if, that my competitors will beat me to it. So I don't operate any of my businesses. I run four different businesses today. So I work more, more on the strategy and finance and not operational because I'm pretty bad at it, to be honest. <laughs> I don't like it. But I don't do it. So it's always thinking about, okay, what can I do? How can I differentiate? And I have, as I said, lack of fear. You have not met anybody that completely lack of fear as I have. I have zero lack of fear. Absolutely nothing in business. Well, you know, to to hear about an organization that is uh, wanting to grow with the right people, basing their decisions on, you know, getting the right people in the right places and doing it in an ethical manner, those traits alone, you know, we... We all know there are, there are groups that don't operate that way, so hats off. You have to put yourself in other person's shoes. As I said, I was not, maybe four decades back, was an entrepreneur, was a starting entrepreneur, and I know how tough it is. Actually, I use the analogy that a man cannot give birth to a baby. The closest thing a man can experience in giving birth to a baby is starting a business. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It <laughs> that's is true. painful. Is it's you know it's expensive. Then, you know, expensive. <laughs> yeah. The first year is the toughest. Yeah. It gets easier as you go. You take pride in the success and you cry over the failures and all organization, you know, will make mistakes. Just like a kid is it, raising a kid. People ask me which business do you like the most? I said, Well, tell me how many kids do you have? Two or three, okay, which one do you like the most? <laughs> all of that. Okay, well, you know what, you got my answer. That's right. That's awesome. Well, the big takeaways from everything that you've said, a couple of things, you know, when we talk about the curriculum, it's real easy. And I think this happens often to get focused on the one thing you're teaching technology. I can see the benefit of that by, by exposing that generation to an area that they really need to understand. But at the end of the day, 
you're just creating better humans. <laughs> and that's something we can all get behind and understand. So that's awesome. I wanted to give you an opportunity, you know, how, how do we learn more? How do our listeners kind of get engaged with the process? If they were interested in looking at a market that they're in about opening an iCode, what's the next steps? You know, lovely question. I love to answer. Just kidding. Our website is iCodeFranchise.com. A lot of information is available in terms of investment. It's anywhere from $140,000 to $250,000 is what it takes to open an iCode. We want to make sure that, you know, I'm looking for franchises that are passionate, have the conviction in the industry. I tell people otherwise don't, because I want people to get into iCode if they really believe in the model, have the conviction in the model, because our model is different to others. But we love to, you know, have conversation with smart people and provide help and support on the journey of entrepreneurship, which is fantastic, just like parenthood. With all the pains and suffering and costs and so on and so forth, it is the best thing. And if you want to try on the next best thing, start a business. It, it is a fantastic journey. And, you know, we'd love to have some smart people, smarter than me. That's one of the criteria to come and join me and help me. To our listening audience, we hope you've enjoyed today's show. This is always such a gift for us to get to talk to people like Abed and learn more about his business and how uh, our, you guys, our listening audience, can get involved with it. So we appreciate you taking the time. Listen, hit that subscribe button. You can find us in all the major platforms. We're enjoying the process of uh, exposing companies and brands and uh, all the different things. Uh, Derek, I think you've talked to some folks uh, in the last few weeks about maybe joining in some of our next episodes. Who have you spoken to about maybe being guests in the next few weeks? Yeah, there's a variety of things that go on for for people that are starting new businesses. I've had, you know, really touched on a lot of it. But, you know, people got to think about, you know, insurance needs, for instance. Uh, one of our upcoming guests will be talking, you know, at length about that. For so many of our clients at Tenant Financial Group, I mean, they use uh, retirement plan money. And, and when they do that, of course, valuations become a, uh, a big issue. So we'll be talking uh, on an upcoming episode here about you know, the valuation of privately held stock inside of a retirement plan. All things that people need to think about, consider, and and uh, and, and really kind of stew on before they, you know, make that leap into small business ownership. That's awesome. I feel like Abed just started talking about Python and coding stuff all of a sudden. So I'm excited to have another expert on the show. Well, listen, guys, thanks so much for your time. Abed, closing thoughts? Thanks very much. And I know Tenet is a partner of iCode. We certainly appreciate all the help in helping our franchisees get the 401k rollover. Uh, we're very happy. Everybody that I've ever Work with tenant have been ecstatic about how helpful they have been. So anybody with the iCode or any other franchise, uh, you know, tenant is a great source, resource to use to help your 401k. I think phenomenal team you have, uh, Derek. Congrats. You bet. Well, thank you very much, Abed. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll catch you next time on From the Ground Up. 